to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God's Speaker Step Series. We're going to take a moment and have our joke from Joseph. Hello. I am Joseph the Jokester. Back for another joke. Hello, everyone. Here for the joke. This is Mark's favorite part of the meeting. And I'm excited to give you a joke. All right. Um... A man walks into a bar owned by horses. The bartender says, why the short face? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others, unless you're joining us on Zoom or Facebook Live. Uh, Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Let's start. Thank you. 
Awesome. Uh, we're going to say the fog light prayer. God, God let, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying to find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Eric to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Eric Alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily, happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first new chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. <laughs> Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a, fast change, a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psycho psycho psychologist William James calls the educated educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he, he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honesty facing his problem facing his problems in the light of our experience, can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance that that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phone to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. Uh, we have Keith N. here for his fourth session. Let's give it up for Keith. 
Hello, my name is Keith, and I am an alcoholic. And uh, my home group is the Wednesday Big Book Study Group, and thank you to the, the group for having me. It's an honor to do this. Um, today was one of those days, man. I needed a meeting, and it just so happens that I had to be speaking tonight, but, well, I get to speak tonight, so um, it feels good to be here. What a crazy day. And uh, thank you to Dr. Bob and Bill W. and all my teachers that came before me because I have a, de a design for living that after the day I had today, back in the day, would have been one of those days where, you know, eight hours into the shift, I'd have been like, when I get out of here, I'm going home to have a nice cold one and smoke a big fat one. And uh, <laughs> that's not the case today, you know. Um, it's crazy. Like, I started my morning off this morning, as I always do, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going out on the patio and communing with God and just sitting there and getting my thoughts together and planning the day out and I was connected when I left the house, but, uh, you know, two hours into the shift, this, one of my customers, um, pissed me off, let's say, so to speak, and, uh, got a major resentment. Like it was, it was, I was wanting to get violent with him. Not, you know, not really, but in my mind, like I wanted, I know I couldn't do it cause I work for a corporation, but I wanted to put hands on him. And, uh, I was heated. And, and for, for this program, I, you know, I went out back and, uh, did a little tense step, four step right there, and what was my part in it, and all that stuff. And you know, ten minutes later, I was back to where I was in the morning. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So you know, for the last three weeks, we've been uh, discussing some important information. I got to introduce myself to you people and to the group a little bit. And so, what I try to do when I do these things, I don't do these a lot, but when I try to do, I try to give you my experience with it. Again, I am not an expert at it. I believe I was taught by the best, though. I, I you know, um, God put some men in my life that were armed with the facts. And if it weren't for them and this God, I'm understanding in groups like this and people like Mike and his group, you know, I don't know where I'd be at today. So uh, thank you guys for having me. But, um, you know, last week we talked about the third step and I'm not going to recap the first two weeks, but um, we talked about the third step decision last week. And I said last week, you know, when I make a decision, it's important that I have all the facts and, uh, in the first two weeks, we talked about those facts, and we talked about the three pertinent ideas last week and how it works for the first time. As I said last week, a lot of meetings you go to, they read how it works before every meeting. We don't do that in my group, my home group. They don't do that in this group. You know, they get we talk about how it works when we get to it. But and the three pertinent ideas, you know, um, we go to them. I'm going to be referencing the book a lot. You know, I try to I try not to script what I'm going to say. And by doing that, you know, I feel you're going to get authenticity in, in, in my heart. But also, coming out of the book, I don't have to make nothing up, you know. So that's what I do. Um, so that we're, A, that we're alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. And again, if you are like I was and not knowing what my problem was, then you can make up all kinds of things, right? And so Bill knew that. You know, it's amazing how that man knew me. 80 plus years ago, you know, I would have never thought that me and him had anything in common, but I was just like him. And uh, he spends the doctor's opinion, uh, chapters one, two, and three, letting me know what my problem is. And after going through that information, I can stand on my own skin and know without a certain of a doubt, I'm convinced that I am you. I am one of you. I have this thing, right? And then uh, B, that probably no human power could lose for alcoholism, again, 
if you've been here the first last three weeks, you know that I came in not an atheist, but an agnostic. And uh, this is where the cornerstone is set in place. I just know I didn't want to go back to what I was doing. I didn't want to live how I was living. And I believe that Joe and John believed. And so this is just for me, even though it says no human power, for me, that mustard seed of me believing they believed and that they could help me get to this eventual faith. Um, that's what, that's why, that's how I had to do my beginning. And then see that God could and would, if he were sought, aha, the conundrum. That means I have to seek this thing. Why would I want to seek this power that they're talking about? Well, cause I was dying, right? Not literally, but figured I wanted to kill myself. I was just wasting away. I was a, uh, a shell of a human being. Everything in me was broken. I had, I was soulless and, uh, that wasn't what God's intention was for me. You know, the book talks about deep down every man, woman, and child is a fundamental ideal of God. So when I was born, he didn't have this aspiration for me to be a drug addict and alcoholic, right? I did that myself. So I got these, all this stuff in, and, um, you know, here we are at that fork in the road. I talked about it last week. And the 12 and 12, he, he, he puts it very bluntly, reconsider or die, right? Reconsider how I have been living life, how I have things, what I believe, my thought process, again, Joe and John told me, is what I know that's killing me. Reconsider all that information. Reconsider everything I did up until I got here or die or worse yet, live with this stuff. And um, so there we are. So his next very words, being convinced we're at step three. If you're not convinced, go out and, and, and try some more controlled drinking and all that stuff. You know, he told me drugs and, and, and booze had to do its job. It had to beat me into a state of reasonableness, right? And, and man, did it. Like, <laughs> 35 years old when I got here, and I was beaten and broken, right? So we talked about self-will last week and, and um, what ran me and stuff. So I, and again, when I got here, I thought my problem was drinking and drugging. I thought that if I could just do that, that um, or control that, then my life would get better, right? I thought conditions, and I let conditions drive me to drink. Like, I, I, that's what I thought. I never thought that changing myself to meet these conditions was a possibility. I never wanted to do that, right? I didn't, I, I didn't want anything to do with that stuff. So we talked about the, you know, the bedevilments and then on page 61, selfishness, self-centeredness, you know, all these things. That was me. That was my constitution. That's who you got when I showed up on the scene. But I didn't know that, right? And um, talks about the actor. Again, I was an actor when I got here. I was a chameleon. I could adapt. And uh, again, it was no way to live life, right? Always performing. Always performing so you would not like me but accept me. I, I didn't care if you liked me or not, but I just wanted to be accepted, whatever crowd I was in and stuff. And uh, that's no way to live, right? You know, everything I said was a lie. It was an act, right, for the most part. So then we get on to page 62, and again, up until this point, I'm a victim. I think it's your fault why my life sucks. And uh, again, Joe had to point this out to me, and, and my sponsor had to point this out to me. As I'm going through this book and I'm seeing this stuff, you know, again, how does Bill know me, right? And even back on, and, and we agnostics, when you said, when we get to that, that point of either he is or he isn't, um, this self-imposed crisis, so to speak, like, he's warned me back then that I authored everything. I just wasn't paying attention to that, right? So at the bottom of page 62, this decision, you know, very important. It says this is the how and why of it all. First of all, we had to pit, quit playing God. It didn't work. I got evidence that says that, 35 years of evidence, that me running my show and being a master of my domain did not work. 
He says, next, we had decided hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is a principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arts to which we passed the freedom. Right. So that's just me turning. That's me just saying, OK, I'm in. Right. That's me deciding that he's going to run my life. And again, back then, 17 years ago, I really wasn't saying that God was going to run my life. I was saying that Joe and John were going to run my life. Like I was going to let them run my life because that's how hard-headed I was, right? I wasn't believing this God thing, but I knew those two had a way out. John had like 30-something years sober. Joe had like a year or two sober, and I saw how they were living their lives and how they carried themselves, and I wanted that, you know what I mean? So I turned it over to them. And I talked about it last week, these third-step promises. And again, up until this point, I've done nothing. All I've done is come to some conclusions. I read the book, but I haven't done anything. There's no action. I haven't done anything for my recovery, right, as, so to speak, as far as action goes. But by making this decision... Given how I felt when I got here, given the fact that 48 hours before I got there and got the white chip, I wanted to kill myself. And we, a couple of weeks later, I'm reading the book with my sponsor, and we get to this, and all I'm doing is turning, turning my will and my life over to the care of God. The book tells me this, third step promises. Again, hope you got a good sponsor because there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know, and I said it a couple of weeks ago. And I, I did it when I was a newcomer. You know, I stopped drinking for a while, stopped drugging. I met solutions, and life got better, you know. Got at the one-on-one club. Little Susie's looking at me. I get her phone number. I get a little job working at labor pool. Life is better. I'm thinking everything is good. I'm thinking the promises are coming true, right? That's what I'm saying to me. I'm raising my hand at open, disgusting meetings. Ooh, the promises are coming true. No, not at all. But here's the third step promises. When we took, sincerely took such a position, listen to that word sincerely. When I sincerely took this position that God was going to run my life, like this morning, God was running my life. And even though I took my will back and I got angry, which happens in life, but I have a new employer, but I sincerely took such position. It says all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So he's putting those conditions on it, right? And again, back in the beginning, kept close to him. That just means I'm going to do the rest of the work. That's how minuscule was for me back then. But it's much more than that today. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and our designs, right? Total opposite of page 62. Um, more and more, we became interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. Again, I come in a taker. I'm not really a giver at this time, but I'm trying not to be that person. As we felt new power flow in, listen to this. We enjoyed peace of mind. I talked about that last night. I mean, last week. I don't know about you, but I didn't have peace of mind when I got here. Like, my mind was scrambled. We discovered that we could face life successfully, right? Again, that was not me. I was a runner. That's how I got to Florida. I ran. I ran from three DUIs in Georgia. I ran from Rochester, New York. I was a runner. Couldn't face life at all. We became present, uh, conscious of his presence. We began to lose fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn again. That's amazing promises. And I haven't done anything, but when I read that that, that uh, paragraph, I have hope. I, I hear hope, right? So then it says, now we're at step three. We do the third step prayer with our sponsor on our knees in the presence of God. And then he says this, and, and again, great, great sponsorship. The third step decision was vital, right? But it's, it's, it's a, it's a, if I don't do this, what they're saying next, it's a great intention. 
And what does he say? And again, I don't have to figure anything out. You know, there's a lot of people out there, and again, a lot of misinformation. And uh, it, it pains me because I talked about it last week. I heard Pat say, you know, he doesn't look at the uh, the numbers, so to speak, and the success rate because those people who are failing aren't doing this thoroughly. They're not seeking this thing like their life depending on it. So I, they're not really in the program. But here it says this. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step, which is the personal house cleaning, right? So next means when I'm done with that third step prayer, I don't wait a couple weeks to, to start writing. <laughs> I get up off the ground and we go start writing. We get the pen and we go to writing. On a personal house cleaning, which many of us have never attempted, right? Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once. So just in those five sentences, he went from next to at once. So he's telling me how crucial this fourth step is, right? At once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of these things which have been blocking us, right? So again, my problem, I thought, was drinking and drugging when I got here. But as I'm going to come to find out that that was just a symptom of the bigger issue, my internal condition, that, that soul thing that I had, which was running me, like, who did you get when I showed up on the scene? Talked about a couple weeks ago, my constitution. What was my constitution before I got here, right? So we're going to discover these things. It says liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Therefore, we started up on a personal inventory. This was step four. Now, the real work begins, right? This is the first action step, I believe, in, in recovery. It says a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Now, Mike knows my story and what I do for a living. I work in a big um, pool distribution company where we do inventory every November, like, that's the most fearful time of the year for me because I'm like, man, they're going to find how much money we lost and stuff. But we do this inventory to find out the items that don't sell, the items that are damaged, and we get rid of those things. We blow them out or whatever. And without that inventory, I don't know what, what's, what's holding my business down and what's not selling. So Bill likens that to our lives, right? We're going to take this personal inventory. We're going to find out what's broken inside of us. And again, I'd never done that. I'd never looked at myself in that way, Right. So it says this, taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding, which is a searching, and a fact-facing, which is a fearless process. It is an effort to discover the truth or moral about the stock and trade, right? We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in very ways which is what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestation. Now it says this. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anyone else. From it stem all forms of spiritual dis-ease. Right? For we have not been only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And when, when they pointed this next sentence out to me, I was blown away by it. When the spiritual malady is overcome, then we straighten out mentally and physically. And I don't know about you, but in my time here, how many times have we seen people come in, you know, get the white chip, they're in for a week, I'll do anything, but then, you know, get a little food in their belly, get a little color in their cheeks again, and then they start saying, well, let me get my wife back. Let me get my kids back. Let me get my job back. And then I'll think about working on this spiritual aspect you're talking about, right? So job, car, girl, drunk. Job, car, girl, drunk. The book tells me right here, until I straighten out spiritually, none of that stuff is going to matter anyway, Right? So this thing, resentment, is the number one offender. 
And again, great teachers, right? My fourth step is not my life story. Again, I've, <laughs> in my time in here, I've, I've seen and heard some crazy things. Like, write your life story. That's not what the book tells me, right? This is not my life story. In our, in our meeting and in our group, they had these little sheets that they gave us, these little uh, um, fourth step uh, inventory sheets. And, you know, the boxes are so small, you got to be, you know, to the point, right? It's not a life story. The life story gets embellished in the next step. But this thing called resentments. So here it is. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper, period, right? Again, good sponsorship. So a resentment for us humans, it's like almost like in, in again, Joe and John, <laughs> again, nothing I say up here is, is original, but they, they, they teach the book so well where it makes it sing and it makes it understand for myself. A resentment is like something I play over and over in my head, over and over and over in my head, right? And I've had lots of resentments even before I got sober, but never dealt with them in the way I, I do today. But I don't know if you guys remember back in, like, 87, you guys might be too young for this, but when Joe Theismann broke his leg, or Lawrence Trailer broke Joe Theismann's leg, and uh, they showed that thing from every angle, from every view, day in, day out for, like, two weeks. It was, like, ridiculous. That's what I do with my resentments. Like, I go to bed with that, wake up in the morning, how am I going to get this person back? Like, that, that's what's running me, right? So the direction here is simple. Resentments, we list them on paper. I love this part of the process because I get to play the victim, right? Who am I mad at? Who am I pissed off at? And I make this list, top to bottom, right? People, places, institutions, all that stuff. Who am I mad at? So obviously the police department's number one on the list, you know? Um, I didn't know it at the time because I told you about me and my dad. And again, I love him to death and he's my best friend, but he was on the list. My mom was on the list. Again, this woman loved me to death. She loved me like no other, but again, I made up in my head that she abandoned me, which she didn't. Like when I said I wanted to go to Georgia and she bought me a one-way bus ticket, she should have talked me out of it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, stuff like that. So we just make the list. That's the first ex exercise in this four-step inventory. Again, good sponsorship, man. It says, we list the people, institutions, and principles with whom we were angry, Right? First exercise done. Next column, column number two. And it's laid out here in the book. So if you see it, it's three columns in the book. And if you don't get with a sponsor and somebody tells you, read the first 164 pages, and you get here, you just think these first three columns, that's all it is. It's not. It's much more. We'll get in that in a minute. Why we asked ourselves why we were angry, period. Again, I love this part of the process. I get to play the victim, right? Why am I pissed off at the police? I'm in Georgia, <laughs> uh, Gwinnett County, not too many people of my persuasion there, and uh, I'm thinking that they're racist cops, so they're pulling me over, you know, profiling and stuff, so again, that's my victim story, that's my cover story right there, they're racist, right? My father, my mother, you know, why am I pissed at these people? Little box, specific, Right? It says, in most cases, we found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Right? So, again, this internal condition, this is what's affecting me. These are the instincts that are bothered inside of me. 
before I got here, I didn't know what they were talking. I didn't know anything about instincts. I didn't know that that was a thing. Like that's why that's why I drink and drug. No, I drink and drug because conditions. I drink when I was happy. I drink when I was sad. I drink when I got promotion. I drink when I got fired. I drink when I found a beautiful girl. I drink when she broke up with me. All that's what I thought that I drank, right? So listen how he describes this. On our grudge list, <laughs> he doesn't say inventory. He says our grudge list. We said opposite each name our injuries, right? So it's a blueprint, check mark on our sheets. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal, our sex relations, right? Check, check, check. We check these things which were infected in us. And from doing this, I get a blueprint. I get a blueprint of who you got when I showed up on the scene, right? I get a, a blueprint of what was infected in me. So, okay, I'm done, right? That's how I lived my life up until this point, the first three columns. Everything was your fault. If you saw this list, Mike Chase, you would know why my life sucked. If you saw this list, you would know why I drink and drug the way I drink and drug, right? Victim. That's crazy, man. I think about that now. I was like, man, how could my life? Of course my life is screwed up given how I was living, given how I was showing up, right? Nothing about irresponsibility, you know what I mean? Nothing about me being lazy, right? I didn't think about anything like that. It's your fault if you guys just understood, right? If you had the stuff happen to me, that happened to you to happen to me, then you would do the things I did. Again, next it says this. We went back through our lives. Nothing kind of but thoroughness and honesty, right? So again, this is my four-step inventory, right? So I could cheat myself out of it and, 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 and haphazard do this thing, but what would that get me? So resentments are done, right? The next one is fear. We're going to get to the fourth and fifth column in a second. So again, I told you when I got here that I would tell you that I'm not afraid of anything, but I was actually afraid of everything. And I didn't think I was afraid of anything. So on this inventory list, the next, cop, the next sheet is fears. Again, the four-step inventory is like the roadmap for the rest of the work. So I've heard people say, you know, when we're done with our force, we're going to burn it. We're going to bear it out to sea. Don't do that. You know what I mean? That, you need that for the rest of the work. And I've literally heard people say that, right? <sighs> or take your time to do the four-step inventory. You know, you're not, you know, you're not ready for that. Why would I want to do that? You know what I mean? So it says this. Where is it? Do the same thing with the fear. I list the first column. What am I afraid of? Again, be thorough, right? Fear, I'm scared of relapsing. Healthy fear, right? I'm scared of the police, especially when I got here. I was scared of the police. Not that they were going to do anything to me, but they were going to arrest me and send me back to Georgia. And I got arrested when I first got to Florida. So healthy fear. I'm afraid of uh, my mom and parents finding out that I'm down here in Florida, unemployed and homeless, right? I'm afraid of all kinds of things. Uh, let's see. Second column, why was I afraid? Again, I list that, right? Just told you why I was afraid of the police. Told you why I'm afraid of relapse, because bad things will happen, you know? Then it says this. We're going to turn back to, to the list for held the key to the future, right? 
Again, that's why I don't throw this away. We appear to look at it from a different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. That the wrongdoing of others, fancy the real, had real power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments and these fears ruled us. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick as well. So then he gives me this four-step prayer. And again, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you I say this prayer with sincerity because I don't. I say it just to do the mechanics. Like this morning, I said the four-step prayer for this fella, but I didn't mean it, right? But he says this. This is the four-step prayer. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. So we asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And again, if I sat up here and told you I do that and I mean that, I'm, I'm lying to you because <laughs> I didn't, you know what I mean? But I paid the price for that, right? It says we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat the sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, right? And again, he's telling me I'm not going to be a saint when I get sober because I don't like all people. That, that's just the case. But I'm not hurtful to all people. You know what I mean? But at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of these people. Now, here's a caveat. So up until this point, I did the first three columns. I'm a victim. You don't understand. Look at this list, Mike. You guys, this is why my life sucked. This is why I'm in the jackpot. I never looked at it any further than that. I never went any further than that. It was just, <laughs> let me just tell you how bad I got it so you can give me that sympathy and what I wanted from you, right? But here it says it again, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes, right? Done, period. Column four, how did I set the ball rolling? Again, My sponsor, Joe and John, they told me I authored everything that happened in my life. For the first time in my life, somebody told me the truth. I authored everything. Right? I come in here with no money. That's what I was committed to having. Right? I come in here with those three DUIs. I was committed to having those three DUIs. Right? So what was my part in that? I just told you the victimhood story. I told you all cops are racist and all that crap. No. What was my part? Three DUIs, so I drove drunk three times, number one. I drove without a license three times. I could have killed somebody, right? I ran from the cops on that third DUI. So, of course, I authored that, right? I never looked at it from that point of view. I never even thought about that. I would go get around my homeboys and my friends and tell them, man, don't go to Georgia. They're racist. They're, they're, not, they're out to get us and stuff. You know what I mean? But no, right? With my mother, what was my part in this? This woman did nothing but love me my whole life, right? Got to the point where she had to send me on my way. What was my part in it? Well, no ambition. Stayed home while she went to work every day. I drank all her Bacardi. She saw me wasting away on her couch. Stole a car a couple nights. You know, I did all these things to her. But I wouldn't have resentment of her because she put me on a bus to go to Georgia, right? I had to look at these things. My father, what was my part in that? Well, when he brought me out to the house when I was 16, we had a talk. You know, we talked about it, whatever. He brought me out to his house with my sisters and brothers. And, and again, 
I held this man hostage, emotional terrorist. Well, it was my part. He did, he did the best he could, right? But not that he didn't, it wasn't that he didn't love me. He did the best he could, but I held that against him. What was my part in that, right? I got to own this. I got to look at this. And I'm looking at the exact nature of the harm, not just when I get to these eighth and ninth step amends. I'm not, it's not just going to be I'm sorry. In this part of the process, I got to look what was the exact nature. Why did I do the things I did to these people in, in, in these situations? What made me tick? Why did I do those sort of things, right? Not the easiest thing to look at because up until this point, I don't know that any of this stuff. I, I think I'm a good guy. I think, you know, life just doesn't treat me fair. No. I'm spiritually sick. I'm selfish, self-centered. I'm a taker. My word means nothing. That's not who God intended me to be. You know, I might have said, I don't know if I said it a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, the book talks about deep down in every man, woman, child is a fundamental idea of God. And in my 17 years, I've heard many definitions of people's God, right? Many definitions because it's on your own conception. But I've never once heard a, a, a definition of God being in a cesspool, in a garbage disposal, right? That's me when I get here. I'm a walking, talking, living, breathing cesspool, garbage disposal. And this step right here uncovers all that. But nothing's changed, right? I just know myself a little bit better. I'm still a scumbag. I got the first four columns done. For the first time, I'm seeing the world in a different view. I'm seeing that, man, things, something's got to change. Number one, you got to stop being a victim. You got to stop blaming people for your lot in life. Whatever it is, I got to stop blaming people. Whatever I have in this life today is what I'm committed to having in anything, be it my job, be it my relationships, be it recovery. I'm committed to having just what I'm willing to have, right? If I walk out of here with 30 years sober and I'm miserable, I'm committed to being miserable. We were in Philadelphia one time, and uh, Bill P. was up there with us, and uh, he took us to dinner, he took us to this meeting, and the guy shared, we went to a speaker meeting, and it was a speaker discussion meeting, and the guy shared he had 15 years. And again, this is back when I... Uh, I'm still judgmental when I go to speaker. I don't like to go to speaker meetings really much because unless I know who the speaker is going to be. But we go to this speaker meeting and this guy's sharing. He's got 15 years and he's talking about computers and um, suicide and I mean all kinds of stuff. And I'm just jumping out of my seat like you got to be kidding me. This guy's got 15 years sober and he's talking about suicide. So he got done sharing and they opened it up for the, um, to share. And the first person to share was this young lady. She had three years. And she just relapsed the night before, and she thanked him for talking about suicide. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The next person who shared had 29 years sober, 29 years sober. And he opened, he raised his hand and shared and thanked the guy for talking about suicide. And I'm just sitting there like, I, my hand, I shot my hand up, man, and, and, and I fired on him. Like, you know, where I'm from, they got this thing called the big book. Yeah, and I get the whole suicide thing. And again, I'm not saying that we're not depressed when we get here, but if I'm 15 years sober, if I'm 29 years sober, and I'm still thinking about killing myself, something's wrong, right? That's not the message I want to give somebody. Like, I, if I'd have came in, thank God I got with Joe and John. If I would have came in and they would have told me 29 years later they're, they're still thinking about suicide, give me a drink. <laughs> give me a drug. Let me get the job done now, right? It's crazy. So we got these four first four columns done. And again, okay, Keith, I see it. Of course, this is why my life is screwed up, given how I was living life, given how I was showing up. 
And again, Joe and John did not mince words, man. They, they told me. And even when I was in Solutions, I talked about this. You guys heard it a couple weeks ago. I wasn't all in when I got there. I don't want you to sit, sit there and think that I'm Mr. AA or I was Mr. AA, I'm all in. No. God's mercies that kept me sober for those first six months. But I still was hard-headed, right? Even four years sober, I was hard-headed. We'll talk about that in a little bit or down the line. But my ego, very, very powerful thing. The recuperative powers of the ego is a very powerful thing. And even seeing this list, I was a yeah, but. I was a yeah, but. Yeah, but. You don't understand. Yeah, but those cops. Yeah, but my mom. Yeah, but my dad. Whatever. He didn't want to hear that. Right? So the first four columns are done. Where do we look at our own mistakes? Then next, where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened? Right? Little check marks. I checked off all of those. Who knew? Again, those are my character defects. Again, this is why I need this four-step inventory. Ugh. Those situations have not been entirely our fault. We tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? This is important. The inventory was ours, not the other person's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them on paper in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly, and we were willing to set these matters right. Right? So then he talks about fear. We talked about that. Again, the four-step promise when it comes to fears, right? Once I do this stuff and I listed them on paper, right? Again, I'm, not, I'm never going to outgrow fear. I'm going to always be, until I die, I'm going to have some kind of fear, right? It's just not as blatant as it was. But here's the four-step promise when it comes to fear. It says, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator, right? We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. I did, right? Paradoxically, it is a way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men have faith and courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Again, and he taught me that too. Like, I'm supposed to be able to tell you about the God of my understanding without saying a word, like without saying anything. Like, I'll never get up here and our fathers and our vows and stuff, and that's just that would that would be inauthentic, right? But I know who who runs the show. You know what I mean? He gets all the credit. It says, instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Four-step promise. Outgrow fear. The things that had scared me when I got here don't scare me anymore, right? I'm not scared of the police, not any of that stuff. Now we get down to this sex thing. And again, good sponsorship. Because I thought what this step was talking about, what this part was talking about, was me listing all of my sexual conquests. No. That's not what that's saying, Right? It had me review, like, he, he put it to me in a certain way. Don't, I don't want to hear about all your, 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 your conquests. Just put down the major ones, right? So this is a little bit opposite of what we did in the first fears and uh, resentments. Who did I hurt, right? List them top to bottom. What did I do to them, right? Top to bottom. What did I affect in them? Top to bottom, right? And uh, again, once I saw this, it was like, I'm a scumbag. Like, I was, I was so selfish when it came to women that I would tell you, like, I'm, I'm 
I'm not gonna say anti-marriage, but I ain't never getting married. You know what I mean? But uh, I would tell this back in the day, these people, I love you. Man, I love you so much. You know, just to get there. And uh, <laughs> yes. Man, so many. And, and, and I had to go back and find these people. But that, that's who I was. I was, I was, I was a, I'm not going to call myself a predator because that's kind of... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I was. But um, total different game, right? So I had to look at this stuff, right? Who did women get when I showed up on the scene? And in the book, and, and he gives us instructions for my future sex life. It goes, in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed, right? So again, today, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say I don't look at women because I'm a man, but I don't objectify them. I don't, you know, tell them I love them just to get there. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to talk about my, I was with someone for a while, a long time, but that's a different story, but we'll get there. But I'm not the same scumbag I was, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I respect women. I got sisters. I got a mother. You know what I mean? I judge it on that basis. How would I want somebody to treat my sister? How would I want somebody to treat my mother? And, uh, that's my future sex life. But I love this part of the book. So Bill knows us. He knows we're fallible. He knows we're human, right? So he says this. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and we stumble, which we're bound to do. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so. But that's only a half truth. Now listen to this. It depends on us and our motives, there's that word motives. Before I got here, my motives were always selfish and deplorable, right? It says, if we are sorry for what we have done and have an honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and learned our lesson, right? So let's say I do stumble and, and, I, and I do something and my sponsor holds me accountable, right? And we look at it and I go to this woman, I make the amends. I believe, I believe God believes we're going to be all right. But he says this, if we are not sorry and our conduct continues, right? So people always talk about old behaviors. Joe told me if I'm still doing it, it's not an old behavior, right? If we are not sorry and our conduct continues and we harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Now, when I got here, Joe made the, the point of telling me, and I told you guys a couple weeks ago, that don't get involved in a relationship, Right? Why? That's not my problem. But it is my problem because that would take my focus off of this deal, right? So I tell my sponsors, I'm not going to tell you to wait a year, right? I'm not going to be the arbiter of your sex conduct. But what I am going to request is, because it was done for me and done to me. So if I did it, you're going to do it. Let's just get through the work. Once you get through the work, have at it. But I'd ask you this, what woman would want you? <laughs> what woman would want me when I got here, Right? So that was what we did, right? So to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, and for sanity, right? And for the strength to do the right thing. 
if sex is very troublesome for you, we throw ourselves that much harder than helping others. Again, he tell, he gave me directions. If I'm a sexual deviant, go help somebody else. If I'm doing step work with somebody, I'm not thinking about that. So it says this. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written, we've written down a lot. We've analyzed and listed our resentments. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We begin to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. For we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct, and we are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So again, he's setting it up. He's teeing it up for me. Don't throw away your four-step inventory, right? Because i got to go out there and straighten out this past. In the book, you'll read again and again for us that we can do, faith can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self will has blocked you off from him. Now, that's a very important thing, that, and Joe pointed this out to me. If, that, if God could take away my obsession to drink and drug because I couldn't stop drinking and drugging before I got here, if he could do that, right, with enough willingness on my part and, and, and wanting to change, he can definitely take away these character defects of mine, right? He's not just going to poof them away. i got to be an active love participant. But if you can take away that, that obsession to drink and drug, he can definitely do this. If you have already made a decision, step three, in an inventory of your grocery handicaps, step four, you're done. Nope, doesn't say that. <laughs> he does not say that. He says, you have made a good beginning, right? A good beginning. Man, so four weeks in, we're just making a beginning. If I'm with my sponsor and I did the force of inventory, I'm just now beginning this process, right? But I love what it said, and, 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 I, and I caught it. I catch it every week, but when you read um, Spiritual Experience, it says people will see these changes, these spiritual awakenings in a, in, in a short time or something to that effect, right? If you're diligent about this step work, like Pat and those guys do a step meeting on Tuesday nights, five weeks they go through the process. Right. Back in the day when Bill and Bob were doing it, they were getting guys to the work in two weeks. Right. It says that being said, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Hmm. So this four step inventory is done. I've just made a beginning. Right. And again, I'm not rendered white as snow. I find out that I'm not totally a total scumbag. Like there's a reason why my life sucked. I got the reason right here. There's a way out of this thing if I'm committed to getting out of it. Um, when I got here 17 years ago, you know, I, I, I was hopeless and, and I got with Joe and John and I did some things and here I am today, right? My life was unmanageable when I got here. Like not just the outer stuff, but the inner stuff, my mind, my thinking, everything was unmanageable. And if you had told me 17 years later that I would be sober, number one, and then I would be speaking at a meeting, I would tell you, you're crazy. So I go from being unmanageable to my life now being unimaginable, right? And that, that didn't happen by me just sitting and hanging out and they're there, it's going to be all right in 90 and 90. No, I had to participate in this thing. And don't be scared of the four-step inventory, right? Again, a lot of misinformation. This is the first step to freedom, right? Until you do this, you have no shot at freedom. I didn't have a shot of freedom. I speak for myself, right? Because there's people staying so, sober or dry, I guess, on fellowship recovery. But I, um, 
I hope I made sense tonight, and uh, I feel much better than I did when I got here. And uh, thank you guys for having me and Mike and the uh, Alcoholics and God group. I love you, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Uh, let's thank Keith again. That was awesome. We're going to have our secretary, secretary's report from uh, Joseph the Jokester. All right. I'm Joseph the Jokester slash secretary, um, recovered alcoholic secretary, and in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are going around, and they are definitely going around. Um, also... Um, Please feel free to give uh, AA.org to Intergroup. Um, they could sure use the help right now with all the, the not-so-many-flesh-and-bone meetings so forth. Um, so that's how you can give to the program that is so freely given to us. To, um, next, tonight, um, I'm going to have someone read the recovered statement. We read this to explain why many people here say recovered alcoholic. You're probably like, what's that? Did you make that up? We did not make that up. That is in the book. Um, and we're happy they wrote it down. And tonight I'm going to have Ryan. Uh, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Ryan. Um, all right. <clears throat> 1940-style Big Book Sponsorship. From forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. 75, Mike Chase, that's correct. Doing the deal, unlike contemporary AA. Anyway, won't get into that. <laughs> All right. Um, and now I'm going to ask for a show of recovered alcoholics. Awesome. Throw those hands up in the Zoom as well. Um, and now anyone that needs a sponsor, uh, please put those hands up now in the Zoom. And uh, the, those that put their hands up, recovered alcoholics, please reach out to anyone that you saw with their hands up and uh, try to get them close with God. All right. Um, also, uh, I just wanted to announce uh, Monday nights is our big book study meeting here in this room. It's a great time. Um, this is where the big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30 on the Zoom. Um, pop on in, say what's up um, to one another. Um, and it's the meeting itself starts at 7.15. We would love to see you there. Uh, as well, aa.org. Um, they please go purchase some CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries to help make you the best sponsor ever. And... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you all next week. Online for free at uh, alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite you again, everyone, to our Monday Night Big Book Study. Uh, speaking of the Monday Night Big Book Study, we want to take a moment and congratulate uh, old Robert. He's celebrating nine years of sobriety today. Everyone give Robert a round of applause. We love you, Robert. Um, and those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please um, comment in the Zoom chat or on the Facebook Live. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. time in my life I'm 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. The fog is lifted, see the light, count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. Ten years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Have a very good night.